0: and incredible it is
1: so in first john 4 8 it says any uh, whoever does not love does not know god because god is love so no, don't just rest on like just rest on that during this song and just know that just god doesn't just love he is love like that's the definition of him so just rest on that and soak in that truth during the next song to me. Hey, good morning. Uh, We're going to take this time as we finish uh, our last song, or move into our last song, to take our offering together. Um, I don't know if you if you pay much attention to the program or not. Um, I hope you do because Krista works really hard on it. And uh, but on the front here it says um, "singing an offering." It doesn't say worship, and that's intentional because worship is a way of life, right? Amen. It's something that we do all the time or, or we're called to do all the time in every place. And so it doesn't just uh, get channeled into this one funnel of music or, or even just, okay, well, I'm going to worship through offering today. Or, As we're here together this morning, we're worshiping together this morning, standing there singing, declaring the glories of God, declaring our commitment to Him, uh, offering these uh, th- taking our offering together, listening to his word, responding to it uh, together. That's worship. And then even as we leave these doors uh, today and we go about our our day and our week and our month and our year and our life, that we get into this habit, this this way of life of worship. And so as we uh, move into this last song and continue to to, um, talk about all the reasons that we have to praise our Lord, let's take our offering together and make that part of our worship as well. God, we love you, and we praise you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, uh, for what you have done for us and what you continue to do in us uh, through your Son and through your Spirit and by your Word. And so, God, would you help us this morning as we give to do it in an attitude that uh, is worshipful to you. And, Lord, uh, as we sing and continue to declare your praises, God, would you receive that as worship from your people? In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Mmm. to just worship you through singing and offering and the message God and um, that we can just come before you in all of our brokenness and come to your perfectness God um, help us take something away from the message today that we can apply it to our lives and that you would ultimately be glorified as king today in your name amen
1: you can have a seat Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new with us, um, my name is Eric. I am uh, the pastor of our music and our community group ministries here at Crosspoint. And if you'd like to learn anything uh, more about either one of those ministries, uh, I want to encourage you to come find me after the service today uh, or send me an email, eric at crosspointcc.org. You can find that contact information on the back of your um, program. Maybe you've been coming to Crosspoint for a while and, uh, and you've had an interest in... Uh, how can I serve our church? How can I help, help our church grow to be more like Christ? And maybe you have some musical abilities and, or, or some, uh, a desire to, to uh, lead um, a community group, and you just haven't taken any steps towards those things yet. I want to encourage you then also to come see me afterwards or send me an email. And, uh, and let's talk. Let's talk about how God might want to use you here at Cross Point. We, as a body of Christ, each one does its part, Right? Each one has a part to play into the maturing uh, and, and the growing of the body to look more like Jesus. And so um, if that interests you or, or uh, you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Speaking of uh, participating and serving, VBS is two weeks away. And um, I was told this morning that, that we are still uh, in desperate need of some crew leaders. And so um, if you... Have the ability to keep children alive for a couple hours, at the end of or uh, you know, for a couple hours each night for like four or five nights in a row. Um, go back and sign up, will you, and and help uh, help these these kids uh, experience Jesus in this fun and, and uh, uh, just really uh, enjoyable way together for that week. And and so um, you can do that at the, at the guest connection table back there. VBS Central is at cardboard blue thing. I'm not really sure what to call it, but it's back there. So uh, go see uh, Holly McLean as well if you know who she is, and, and she can fill you in on more details about that. But um, please, please help. Okay, open your Bibles this morning to First uh, Samuel chapter 8. It's the ninth book in the Old Testament. If you don't own a Bible, we also have Bibles back there at the Guest Connection table, and uh, we'd love for you to take one of those home and and to use that uh, to learn more about who God is and to apply the truths of it to your life. Um, And so before you leave today, again, if you don't own a Bible, go take one of those home with you and uh, let that be our gift to you. We're starting a new 13-week series called A Kingdom Established. It's the fourth Uh, series in a three-year chronological plan through the Bible. And so far, we've gone um, from God's creation of the universe to the fall of mankind to sin and death to God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob would uh, be renamed Israel. And from Israel, we have his 12 sons that make up the 12 tribes that Moses led out of Egypt after about 400 years of, of slavery. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience. And then Joshua uh, led them into the land that God had promised to them. And and the Israelites began the conquest of this promised land um, by driving out their enemies. Only they didn't drive out their enemies uh, totally as God called them to do. Instead, they compromised with some of their surrounding nations and they began to take some of their women as wives and they began to, to worship some of their idols. And, uh, and so began the cycle of the Judges, where the Israelites would sin and do evil in the sight of the Lord. God would allow Israel to experience oppression by their enemies. Uh, the Israelites would cry out in their despair. God would send them a judge to deliver them from that. They would have a time of peace, and then they would sin again, and the cycle would start all over. Uh, the book of Judges ends by saying... In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And what we're going to see at the start of this series is a transition then from this time of judges uh, to a time of kings and prophets in the history of Israel. Samuel was the last and and one of the greatest of Israel's judges. He was born to a barren woman. See that theme over and over and over again, right? Uh, He was born to a barren woman whose name was Hannah. She prayed to God to allow her to have a child. And he heard her cry, and he granted her this son, Samuel, and then she dedicated him back to the Lord. And so Samuel grew up in the tabernacle as a priest in training under the current priest named Eli. Samuel eventually took over that role of priest from Eli and began offering sacrifices to God for the people and teaching them how to live righteously. He also served as a prophet, bringing the word of God to the people. And so Samuel was this, was this uh, great leader of Israel to, to bring the people to God and God to the people and serve uh, on, on their behalf. And so during the time of, of the judges, Israel was made up of 12 tribes, each with their own leader, and they didn't really have this um, sort of intertribal unity something that that connected all of them together as one unit besides God himself. And and from the time of Moses to the time uh, of Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt to where we're at today in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people lived under what was called a theocracy. Uh, They were supposed to be governed by God, and he alone was supposed to be their ruler. He ruled the people through uh, people, though through people like Moses and Joshua and the judges and the priests. And now we come to 1 Samuel 8, and and the Israelites, uh, they make this request for an earthly king to rule over them as God's representative. And God will ultimately use this request for a monarchy to establish the throne of King David, from whose lineage Jesus the Messiah and the eternal king would come. But while God would use their request... Uh, to work his ultimate plan of salvation for the good of man and for his own glory. The Israelites' motive behind their request for a king was far less righteous. They were rejecting God as their king and asking him for a human substitute, and it would come at great cost to them. God should have been enough for them, right? He brought them out of slavery uh, up from Egypt. He provided food and water for them while they were in the desert. Um, he brought them to the land that he had promised to give them, he was perfectly faithful to the people that he affectionately called his treasured possession. The only time they ran into trouble was when they were unfaithful to him. And that turns out uh, to be quite often, if you've been following along in the story. They, all, they had all the satisfaction that they would ever need in God himself. And instead of trusting in him and following him in obedience, they made their own demands And looked for satisfaction in lesser things that would never be able to provide that satisfaction that they were looking for. Their desire for a human king revealed the Israelites' belief that God was insufficient. It opened the door once again for slavery. And it made them look like the nations from which they were supposed to be set apart. Now, maybe ironically, our own nation's history reveals a beginning under a declaration of independence from a monarchy by 13 individually governed colonies that would uh, form the United States of America. Instead of demanding a king, our founding fathers demanded freedom from one. And, And yet we are no better off than the Israelites because we too look elsewhere for our satisfaction and security than to our one true God and king. Oftentimes we fail to see God's provision in our lives or we're reluctant to give him the full authority that he requires because we fail to remember who he is, his his true nature and character, and we don't trust him to care for us and meet our needs. This is not just an Israelite problem. This is not just an American problem. This is a mankind problem. We are a people who are prone to wander and to take our eyes off of the one who made us and sustains us. And when we do that, we make demands for substitutes that can never do for us what only God can do. We may not demand a king, but we make demands for other things to have a kingly influence in our lives. And they always fall short. When we demand a king, we admit that God is not enough for us. Let's look at the first uh, nine verses in 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But but this displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being their king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Samuel was getting old, and his sons were corrupt, and they weren't fit. Uh, to be leaders of Israel. And so the leaders of each of the 12 tribes got together and, and they used these circumstances as an opportunity to come to Samuel and make this demand for a king. They said, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. The statement echoes of Deuteronomy chapter 17 in one of Moses' final charges to the people of Israel to trust God and to obey his commands. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy seventeen, fourteen through twenty. He says, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it, and have settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us, like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king that the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is a brother Israelite. One, excuse me, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him and he is to read it all of the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord, his God, and follow carefully all of the words written in this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and to turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel, centuries before the Israelites ever had a king. God already knew that they would ask for one. And he gave Moses regulations for the Israelites to follow when the time came to install a king. And this is what he said. He had to be an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. He couldn't seek the help of Egypt because God rescued them from Egypt. Right there would be a, 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 a slap in God's face. Go back to the, the slavery that they once uh, had that God rescued them from. This future king couldn't abuse his power for personal gain in military or marriage or money. Instead, he was to be a man devoted to the kingship of God in his own life. He was to be devoted to the word of God so uh, daily, every day, like the song we sang, so that he would fear the Lord and follow him all of his days he was to remember that he is below God and not above his brothers he was to lead the people humbly knowing full well that his authority came not from himself but was a gift given to him from God a true leader from a biblical perspective is one who is led first by God and the one who exerts his authority wisely is the one who first submits his own life humbly to God's authority This is what made Samuel such a good leader of Israel. But his life was coming to an end, and the people were requesting a king exactly as God predicted through Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And being a priest, Samuel would have been aware of these laws that Moses gave to the Israelites, but their request for a king was displeasing to him. It upset him. They were not only rejecting Samuel's leadership, but they were declaring God himself to be insufficient. When Samuel uh, appealed to the Lord, God told him, everything I've done for them since uh, the day I brought them out of Egypt, they have forsaken in preference to something lesser. And then he told Samuel, and now they're forsaking you and your leadership, but what they're really doing is forsaking me. Now, the Israelites weren't rejecting God altogether. They didn't come to Samuel and ask him for a new God. They have a history of serving other gods, yes. But but here they're asking him for a king, and their request for a man to unite them and lead them wasn't necessarily uh, wrong. It was the motivation behind that request that was wrong. They wanted God, but they believed that they needed more in order to to grow and establish themselves as a nation. What they didn't realize, though, is that in searching for more than God, they were settling for less than God to provide for them. We do this too, right? We put conditions on trusting God rather than simply trusting God for who he is. We would prefer to control how he operates in our lives or at least give him some suggestions, right? We can help him along. Uh, on what we think is best for for us rather than to um, trust his judgment, think about this question for a second. What are some things that make you feel secure? Having a job, being able to pay all your bills, having an emergency fund, finding uh, the right man or woman to be your husband or wife, having a family, being healthy having the right government officials in office, sending your kids to a good school, living in a safe neighborhood, finally getting your tax return, what is it for you? None of those are bad things. But when they become requirements that we need God to meet before we trust him completely, that results in disobedience on our part. Let me give you an example. Uh, My wife and I, we've lived in our house in uh, Goodfield for about seven years now. We spent the first five years renting it, and uh, the last two years we've been homeowners. And um, we've been working on it since we moved in. Our landlords, original landlords, said, uh, just pretend like it's yours, and little did we know that it would become ours. Uh, And that's a neat story on how God provided for us that I would love to share with you sometime. But for the sake of time today, I'll I'll just continue on. So as we moved in um, from day one, we, we had projects. And, and if you have a, a house, you know that things break down. You know that things, even maybe when you move in, that there were already things that needed to, to be updated and things like that. One of these things that we've been working on um, for seven years plus is our backyard. Now, God uh, gave us just a desire of our heart is to have a large backyard for our kids to play in. And we have a large backyard. And yet for these seven years, it's been uh, toil, toil. Um, to to maintain this thing, or not even to maintain it, but to get it up to a place to where, uh, even just maybe a, a few weeks ago, I looked at my wife and I said, "I think we're finally at a place where um, we can come out to our backyard and spend time actually enjoying it, rather than having to work on it." Do you know that feeling? Right? You, you look out, and even when you try to to go out and enjoy something in the backyard, you're looking at like, "Man, this I got to weed this or." Or I got to mow this or, or I got to fix that or whatever. I th- we finally got to this place where we're like, let's just go in the backyard, hang out and play and have a good time. And, um, and so about two weeks ago, uh, I was here in the office and, and I get a text from Bree and, and it's a picture. And it's a picture of our, uh, dra- our um, garage floor and it's covered in water. And, uh, and, I, and I thought about it, and, and she said, um, you know, the kids were watering the flowers out in the front, and then they were playing in the sprinkler for about 20 minutes or so. And she's, she texted me, and she said, this happened. I don't know. looks like the hose is leaking inside. We have a spigot in our uh, in our garage. And, and uh, I wasn't even, like, mad or upset. I'm like, well, it's just a garage floor. I have a squeegee. You know, when I get home, I can, I can wipe that off, and everything will be all right. And, uh, and so I took my time getting home and all this stuff. And, and so I came home. When I got home, Um, the, the floor, the garage floor was pretty much dry already, uh, and so I focused on the backyard. Like, I got to go seed this, this old garden that we have. I just want grass there. I want grass. My kids can run in and and play on, and so I've been really focused on, on doing that, and uh, so I threw some work clothes on, and I, I walked into the bathroom downstairs real quick, and when I took a step in, I got wet socks, I hate wet socks. I hate them. Uh, it's probably my worst pet peeve. And, um, and, and so now I'm grumpy already just with that. I have wet socks. And I look down and I'm like, I don't understand. Why, why do I have wet socks right here in this doorway? And, uh, and so I start investigating, and I, and I turn, and I look down the wall here, and I see wet carpet. And I turn, and I look down the wall here, and I see wet carpet. And I turn, and I look down the wall here, and I see wet carpet. And it goes into this door under our stairs, and I open that door. And it's the storage room under our stairs, and everything is soaked in there. See, that's where the line that goes out to the spigot in our garage comes through our house and it turns out it wasn't leaking out in the garage but it was leaking just inside our house for about 20 minutes water was pouring through a bursted line into our basement and so then now I'm a little upset right I'm a little upset now I, I have, first of all I have wet socks and and it okay and um and and now I go upstairs and I look at at Bree and I go we have a lot bigger problem than a wet garage door or garage floor. Worry starts creeping in and, and, and um, so, I, you know, <laughs> instead of just like stopping there and praying, all right, God, uh, I wasn't expecting this. You know about this. Uh, I need your help. I'm thinking, who can I call? I have no idea what to do here. So I call a friend of mine who's familiar with this kind of stuff and he comes over and, and uh, uh, the next thing I know, I have, I have two huge fans there. We've pulled carpet back. Um, we have dehumidifiers running and, and fans are are blowing under the carpet and he's reassuring me that he's seen this before and it'll be fine and just give it a few days and all that stuff. And I took a little comfort in that because I trust him. And, uh, so my basement is dry. Um, it's still kind of in disarray with all of the stuff pulled back, but, but, uh, we didn't lose anything of value. 20 minutes, water poured in, and, and nothing that we really uh, valued was ruined, and so um, I, I'm slowly, I'm still mad about the socks, but I'm, I'm slowly, uh, you know, going, oh, okay, we, we can we can do this, and then last Sunday uh, in the afternoon, we, we went to a wedding. Uh, Bree's cousin was getting married, and and um, Jeff and Angie Hagstrom came up from Mississippi because the bride was a mutual friend of of ours, and, and um, we were talking, or we got into the van, to our van, we pulled out of the driveway, and I started to pull forward, and about 30 feet down the road, the van shut off, completely shut off. I lost power steering, I lost everything, and just got it over to the curb, and, uh, and so I started it back up, and I put it in drive, and tried to, you know, go, and it wouldn't go, and so I threw it in reverse, and I felt it shift into reverse. So I backed down our road, back down our driveway. We parked it. We grabbed the car seat, threw it in the truck, and, uh, and, and took off in the truck. We got to the wedding. We, we had enjoyed the wedding, and we we're at the reception, and we got to talking to Jeff and Angie, and we we're just catching up with them, and they said, you know, how, how are things going? I really just wanted to say fine, but they weren't fine. And so, so we talked a little bit, and I explained to them what was going on, and like, you know, we're driving the truck today because the van wasn't working and stuff. And Jeff looked at me and he goes, aren't you glad that you can, you can go to God and say, God, this is all yours. This is all yours. I need you to take care of this. I, I need you to, uh, to, to take this. Now, I would love to say that after my conversation with Jeff that my worry went away, but it didn't because at that time, you see, I still had those problems. My carpet was still wet, drying out. My van uh, was still broken. Those words didn't fix those things, right? I wasn't at ease because I had attached conditions to my trust in God in those situations. And as I replayed this story over in my mind this week in preparing for today's message, I realized that even in the moments uh, when I was, I was thankful to God for for. Uh, in those situations. I wasn't thanking him for who he is in the midst of that. I was thanking him uh, for fans and dehumidifiers and a truck that we can all still fit in until my wife has her baby next month. I, I, I admit that, that in that moment, and it, it may sound like I'm splitting hairs here, but, but I truly am not. I, I admit in that moment that um, I was more relieved by the things provided than by the one who provided them. Now, we should be able to thank God specifically for things that he provides, right? That's okay to do. But when our focus and our requirement for security comes in the need for those things, it's misplaced. I want you to hear something. I love Jesus. My greatest joy is to know him and my deepest desire truly is to follow him and obey him with my whole life. But I I, I confess that I often put conditions on, on him and, and how much I'm willing to trust him. I don't want to do that. I, I don't, that. That's not my desire, but it's what I do. I know that the Bible tells me that he's completely trustworthy and that he's completely faithful, but sometimes my heart just can't seem to find rest in that truth when things happen that are out of my control. And that's just it, Right? I want control. That's not how trust works, is it? I don't share that story in an attempt to sound pious and to manipulate someone in here to feeling sorry for us and fixing our problems. I share that story as a personal confession this morning. That I don't always trust God without conditions. And perhaps you might hear that, and, and maybe you would admit the same thing. Maybe you would make that same confession Think back to the question I asked a few minutes ago. What are the things that make you feel secure? What happens when those things go away? Does your sense of security go away with them? If it does, that's a good indication that you're not trusting in God for security, but you're trusting in those things for security. Is it okay to be honest about what we're feeling when things happen that are out of our control? You bet. The Psalms are full. Of this kind of heartfelt language from the king david who god appointed who who through whose lineage jesus the messiah would come we shouldn't pretend things are okay when they're not but we do sometimes right is it okay to ask others for help when we need it absolutely god's supernatural work happens most often in this world through human beings The Bible calls us to care for one another, and so we should seek ways to do so. Yet even so, it seems as though when we're faced with problems, the temptation is to give too much credibility to the situation and not enough credibility to God, the sovereign king. It's not inherently wrong to build up reserves in your savings account in order to be ready for an emergency. The problem comes when the savings account becomes your security and God becomes your reserve. When we feel the need for supplemental things to give us assurance, we've declared God to be insufficient and we've settled for something less. That's the motive behind Israel's request for a king. When we we demand a king, we also open the door to enslavement. Let's look at verses 10 through 18. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him, for uh, to the people who were asking for a king from him, he said, "These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you, and he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen. Excuse me, and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and." to make his implements of war and to make equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Did you notice a common theme in Samuel's warning about what kind of king the, the excuse me the Israelites would end up with? He will take. He will take. He will take. He will take your sons, your daughters, your best land, your crops, your servants, your livestock, and he'll take your freedom. The Gospel Project Leader Guide for this session puts it this way. It says, the irony here is tremendous. The Israelites looked to a king to guarantee prosperity and security, but what they would receive instead were kings who would take those things from them. They wanted a king whom they could control. Instead, their kings would wind up controlling them. What they would uh, empower what they thought would empower them would actually enslave them. When you have other kings besides God, those kings don't save you. They enslave you. Now let's compare Samuel's description of an earthly king here with the description God gives of himself in Exodus chapter 6. He says to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Notice the contrast here. I will bring you out from under the burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you. He will take. I will give. He will enslave you. I will free you. The Israelites thought that an earthly king would make them happy and give them security, but what they were really doing was setting themselves up for slavery again. When you settle for a sinful king, you should expect to get sinful behavior. This is why our country's problems will never be fixed by an election. It doesn't matter how good candidates propose to be. They will all always have one thing in common. They're all part of the fallen human race. And prone to sin. And sooner or later, that sin will show up in their leadership. Now, you should do your part, and you should stay informed, and you should be invested in in your your, uh, different forms of government. But if you're searching for security in the political climate of this state or of this nation, you will become a slave to politics. Vote for Jesus is a cliche saying, but it's true. No government or set of laws can substitute for the rule of God in your heart. And life. No human leader or worldly philosophy can substitute for the incorruptible love and lordship of Christ. We need to pray. We need to pray for the lordship of Christ to be desired and experienced in our country and in our lives. We all serve something or someone, and when we need that thing or person in order to be happy or secure, then that thing or that person becomes the king that we enslave ourselves to, <clears throat> excuse me, too. When the Israelites demanded a king, they disregarded the God who freed them from their original bondage, and they opened themselves up to be a slave again. And they also looked no different than the nations around them. Let's finish up this chapter, verses 19 through 22. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us, and, they, and we, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And, <laughs> excuse me, The Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man, to his city. When we demand a king, we look just like everyone else. Samuel warned the Israelites that what a king would do to them, how he would abuse his power and how he would take from them and enslave them, and they didn't care. Said, Nope, give us a king. They refused to listen to the wisdom of Samuel and they held on to their own foolish requests. And what did God do? He granted their request. But God's not foolish. He didn't abandon reason here. He wasn't trying to win back the approval of his people. He didn't give in in a moment of weakness. He was going to let them suffer the consequences of their own sin. Samuel sent them away because there was nothing more to say or do. The people were stubborn and they weren't going to be convinced by uh, the wisdom of a warning. They would need to be shown their foolishness by experiencing the fruit of it. We need to understand something here. When God allows something, it doesn't always mean that he approves of it. Romans 1 is a perfect example of that, and I would encourage you to read that this week. God's perfectly willing to let us learn the hard way through the experience of consequences when we don't listen to his wisdom and his instructions. If it not for his grace, our depraved minds would surely lead us to death. Romans 1 tells us that. But God is gracious, and he's concerned with our holiness. When he brought Israel out of Egypt, he set them apart, and he distinguished them from all other nations. Exodus 19, 3 through 6 says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God made it clear from the beginning that Israel was not to be like the other nations, and yet that's exactly what they wanted to be like when they demanded a king. As people who have experienced the unfailing love of God through the death and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus, we are called to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God, a life that conforms itself to Christ and not to the world. We're called to renew our minds with His Word so that we can discern what is foolish thinking and what is true wisdom so that we can know who is God and who is not so that we can find our security and our fulfillment in the one true king and settle for nothing less. We're going to close our time together this morning with communion. Communion is meant to be a regular observance in the life of every believer. We eat the bread and we drink the juice as an ongoing reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. Where his body was broken and and his blood was shed, For our sins, the King of kings (coughs) excuse me, and the Lord of lords made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant and he became a man. He humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Communion reminds us that our Savior died so that we could live. Communion is for those that have put their trust in in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10 describes how those who have been saved uh, behave. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Believers believe that Jesus saved them by dying for their sins and, and that he gave them eternal life by raising uh, from the, the grave. And they confess his lordship in their lives. The, the word for Lord in the original language there in, in Romans ten nine means supreme authority. The one who ex- ex- exercises supernatural authority over mankind. To confess Jesus as Lord is to pledge your allegiance to him as king. Paul tells us that we ought to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Because anyone who does so in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This call to examine ourselves is for both the unbeliever and for the believer. Now, If you're an unbeliever, that means that that you haven't pledged your allegiance to Christ yet. And so to eat the bread and to drink the cup without acknowledging what Christ has done, Paul says, is to eat and drink the judgment of God upon yourself. I don't want that for you. I want you to know the freedom that Jesus Christ offers. And so I'll ask you to refrain from taking the elements and instead consider this offer that he's given to you through his broken body and his blood shed on the cross. And I pray that today is the day that you receive that free gift of forgiveness and you surrender your life to his lordship, that you believe and you confess If you're a believer, you need to examine yourself too. To eat the bread and drink the cup with unconfessed sin would be to do so in an unworthy manner. Is there anything in your life that has allegiance, has your allegiance more than Christ? Is there anything in your life that you uh, trust more than Jesus? Are you looking for security in something lesser? Confess that to him this morning. And remember that his sacrifice has already been, uh, that his sacrifice has already paid in full your sin. As the ushers come forward and they hand out the trays, uh, take both cups. One has the bread in it, one has the the juice and, and spend some time this morning examining yourself and confessing anything that you need to confess and then thank God for his faithfulness and then in a few minutes I'll come back up and we'll take communion together as we finish up. song that's playing right now you recognize that anybody knows old hymns trust and obey trust and obey there's no other way to be happy in jesus than to trust and obey the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Satisfaction is found only in Christ. God's wrath against us was satisfied by the penalty that Jesus paid on our behalf. Our need for forgiveness was satisfied when God accepted Jesus' payment for our sin and counted us justified. Our desire for safety and security was satisfied by the love of our Heavenly Father when He showed us uh, that great love by sending his only son and giving him up for us. In Jesus Christ, God has given us everything we've ever needed or will ever need. Jesus is the fullness of God. And God gave him to us as a gift to show us God's faithful love that never fails, that never gives up, that never runs out on us. Even when we fail him over and over and over in our unfaithfulness. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, gives us a glimpse of what is still to come. It says, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. May our only desire for a king be to hasten the return of our eternal king. And may we be found faithfully trusting him and surrendering to his reign in our hearts here on earth until his kingdom comes in its full glory. Amen. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for what you've done and Lord, I confess <clears throat> that I do not trust you fully at times in my life. And I need uh, I, I need your forgiveness for that, but I also need to be reminded of who you are. I need to be reminded of, of your grace through your son Jesus and your love that's unfailing. Lord, we need to be reminded of that. Lord, would you help us to not look for lesser things, to not uh, uh, give in to this temptation to need something else other than you to satisfy us. Father, would you continue to show yourself to be the true king of our lives? Would you give us a desire for your word, a desire for, Uh, to surrender and submit to your spirit in our lives, in our hearts? Would you keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who makes us uh, to be obedient, the one who who, uh, finishes what he started in us? for your glory, for our good. Lord, would you, would you hasten that day of his return so that we can no longer uh, be bound by uh, the power of sin and th- even the presence of sin in our lives, and that we can worship you freely and truthfully for all eternity. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for giving us your son. Help us to serve him as king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. And uh, like I said, if you want to talk to me about any of those ministries I mentioned at the beginning this morning, I'd love to talk with you about that. Meet somebody new before you leave. Have a good week.